Amen. How excellent is his name in all the earth. Praise God. Praise God. You guys are blessed to be a part of an amazing church, to have a great, amazing God-sent pastor, and to have a wonderful spirit-led congregation. So thank you so much for having me with you today. We are excited to be in the word of the Lord this morning. We're going to be walking through a passage in John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. And then this evening, we're going to pick back up and look at verses 11 through 18, looking at the reality of Jesus being the good shepherd and how that applies to our lives. It's a blessing when you can come to a place where you see familiar faces. And I'm thankful that our church, Connect Church of Algiers, uh, exists because of Sherwood. In fact, you guys coming down, supporting us in so many different ways. And so I'm so thankful that uh, in January our church will make nine years old uh, in a city where uh, many churches come to die. But God is still saving seeing people come to faith in Christ, and seeing the gospel advance there. So thank you so much. I want to read for us the first couple of verses we're going to walk through, John chapter 10, starting at verse number 1. And it says this, Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Amen. For several years, I loved this show called Dirty Jobs. Anybody ever seen that show before? It's by Mike Rowe. And if you've never seen this show before, essentially Mike Rowe would find the most obscure jobs, jobs that really no one would want to do. But he would find them and go do them. I saw one episode where he climbed in a sewer and there were roaches and all these things crawling around. I didn't know you had to pressure wash inside a sewer. These are jobs that many of us would choose not to do. But these positions are vital to the many products and services we enjoy. Shepherding is one of those jobs in the Near East that, were, that was hard and smelly, but vital to the local community and the family. The Bible, in fact, always speaks highly of shepherds. And the principal duty of a shepherd was to see that the animals found enough food and water, that he guarded the sheep since they were easy prey for wild animals, 
And there was also danger of thieves that may sneak in and carry them off. Is it any wonder that the analogy from the Old to the New Testament to describe the excellent work of the Messiah is a shepherd, one who would come and care for those who are his? The truth is very simple and very succinct. It's to know Jesus is to know the good shepherd and the one who will care, lead, protect, and guide his sheep. Now, this point is so important because if you trust in the good shepherd and know that he is good, you will in fact trust that what he says is good. That means you will follow everything he does and do it because he is good. So, our very first point I want us to see in verses 1 and 2 is that Jesus is the true shepherd. Jesus is the true shepherd. Now, John 10 is rich with theological truth. And Jesus, throughout this one account, clearly lays out that he is the long-awaited Messiah, that he is indeed God in the flesh. Now, I believe that chapters 9 and 10 run at the exact same moment in time. And the background of chapter 9 gives us a clear picture of why this shepherd motif was so important. In chapter 9, Jesus encounters a man born blind from birth. Many of you may be familiar with the story of this man and the disciples asking, was it sin that he was born blind? And Jesus responds and says, no, this is for the glory of God, that the glory of God would be revealed. Now think of this, being born blind in this culture meant you couldn't do for yourself, but you had to depend on others. And many were left as beggars. Yet Jesus encounters this man and heals him. Now he heals him in a very miraculous and only a Jesus way of healing. He spits into some mud, then makes a salve, and then puts it on his eyes. Can I tell you that we don't need to do that object lesson? Now, you laugh, but there's a famous pastor who was all on YouTube not too long ago who did this not once, but twice. But you get the point from the text. Jesus is the only one who could do such a thing. Now, this is why it's so important because right before he heals this man, Jesus makes this statement, I am the light of the world. Now, don't let this be lost on you. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, opens up this man's eyes, and he receives his sight fully. Jesus cares about the human condition. He cares about the broken being made whole. Yet, this one miracle caused immense problems with the Pharisees. See, they wanted to know from this man, who made you well? And you know what his response was? This man named Jesus, he is the one who's made me well. But this was the bigger issue. It wasn't just the miracle itself. It was when Jesus made him well. The Bible tells us in chapter 9 that the day Jesus made the mud and opened this man's eyes was on the Sabbath. Now, remember the Pharisees had laws on top of laws, and they begin to abuse the intended purpose of the Sabbath. Instead of seeing the Sabbath as a means of grace created by God for human flourishing, they manipulated the Sabbath by placing more burdens on people's backs. 
In Matthew 12, 12, Jesus had to set them straight here. He says, a person is worth far more than sheep, so it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. You want to know why Jesus could say such a thing? Because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Yet here was the Pharisees' issue with Jesus healing this man. In John 9, 16, this was was their issue. This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division among them. They were deceived that they couldn't even see God working right in front of them. They were so consumed with the letter of the law, they missed the whole spirit of what God was saying. And they missed the reality of here was God in the flesh revealing to them that he is the true Messiah. As Jesus says to the Pharisees, who should have spiritually seen and recognized who he was, they refused to see. They were indeed, as the scripture says, blind guides. But what were they blind to? They were blind to see that Jesus was the shepherd of Israel, the long-awaited Messiah, who would indeed set his people free. So, You see some of the context and you see some of the tension before we jump into chapter 10. Jesus was already causing issues with these people. So we see in chapter 10, verse 1, what does Jesus say in regards to their blindness? This is what he says, John 10, 1. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and robber. These Pharisees had taken in the word of God but they refused to believe the God of the word. They were blind to this reality. They were part of the sheepfold of Israel. But Jesus came to bring them into a new pen. You can't miss this point. They were a part of the sheepfold of Israel. This is where they found their identity. This is where they found their salvation. They were looking for a Messiah that would come with a sword. And Jesus came as a suffering Messiah. One who would go to a cross. One who said, I've come to bring you into a new pen that was promised. Now, reading this with our 21st century eyes, it's hard to capture the significance of the analogy. Sheep, gates, pens. But in the first century, Palestine, towns had sheep pens where the locals would keep their sheep. And one shepherd had one flock and another shepherd had another. So they had these pens where they would corral the sheep in. And these flocks would go out during the day to graze and return to the sheep pen at night. Shepherds often would hire what we call a porter or a hired hand. This hired hand would protect the sheep at night and they would lay across the entrance to the sheep pen. And the true shepherds came to the porter. They didn't have to go any other way. These were their sheep, so they came to that way. So one who didn't own the sheep, as Jesus was saying, would then go over the wall to find another way. And what does Jesus call them? Thieves and robbers. We look back in the Old Testament, we see God's word and what it says about bad shepherds. In Ezekiel 13, 2 through 6, it says this, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, 
Now, let me pause here for a moment because in my cultural context in New Orleans, uh, apologetics is a big thing that I have to do every single Sunday because the people we reach are either coming and they're unsaved or they're sheep that are coming from backgrounds where they always are prophesied to. If you didn't catch that, what that means if you didn't catch that, let me help you a little bit on that. That's people who get in front of you and tell you, I'm going to tell you your social security number. And I'm going to tell you this about you. And then all of a sudden they're going to say, now give me your money. Yet the scripture says, beware of those who prophesy out of their own imagination. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen Nothing. Now, now that's not just, that's not me. Don't get mad with me. You got to get mad with the word. Yet look at the opposite though. In Ezekiel, the direct opposite of the shepherds leading the people of God astray, we see a promise of a future shepherd. One who would not mistreat the people of God or reject the word of God. In Ezekiel 34, 23 to 24, we see now the contrast. The word of the Lord says, I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, David is not alive in this moment, so we know this is a messianic promise. That one who would come in the line of David would be the true shepherd who wouldn't, who wouldn't lie, who wouldn't lead the sheep astray, but actually point them to the Lord and they will follow his voice. Can I tell you something? Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. But not only did he know, the Pharisees knew as well. If you wonder why they get so mad, because they understood the law. They understood God's word. And anytime Jesus will proclaim, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, in their minds, they knew exactly what he was saying. See, Jesus came to his own, but they rejected him. And the true promised shepherd is greater than David. It's greater than Moses, and he was indeed sent from God. And so we see now in our second point that the true sheep follow the true shepherd. He is not a thief. He's not a robber. He is the true shepherd, the one who was sent from the father. Again, verse 3, the gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. Again, Jesus continues with his point. He's not a thief. He's not a robber. Why? Because he's the one who owns the sheep. The true and promised shepherd goes on to say that the sheep hear his voice. So, as sheep were brought into the pen, the question could be, how do the sheep know their shepherd? I think that's a good question. As you had all this flock of sheep, how would they know the voice of their shepherd? If you had Tom's sheep here and then Jeff's sheep in one pen, then how would they differentiate their shepherd? Well, some commentators have remarked that some shepherds had specific names for their sheep. But when that shepherd called, the sheep responded. 
So if I tried to call Tom's sheep and they didn't belong to me, those sheep are not moving my way. In fact, in John 6, 37, the Bible says, Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Again, hearkening back to the Old Testament, the call of the shepherd, the psalmist said this in Psalm 79, 13, Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will thank you forever. We will declare your praise to generation after generation. Near Eastern shepherds have been known to even stand at different spots outside the enclosure of the pen and sound out their particular calls. And their sheep respond to their voice. When you saw those getting baptized today, they were responding to the call of the shepherd. When you hear the voice of Jesus, you have no other option but to respond because he is calling you to himself. And you may be sitting here today and you hear his voice calling you. Don't tune it out. Respond. He's calling you to life. Remember the issue here. Remember the context. Jesus heals this man born blind. And his very miracles and authority are authenticated for the people that he's not just a prophet, but he's more than that. He's sent from God, the true shepherd of the people, the one greater than David. And that truth stands right before them. See, the sheepfold at this moment he's talking about is Israel. He's talking to the people of Israel. And in context, he's saying those who are his responds when he calls. He didn't come over the wall of the sheep pen like some robber or thief. Yet remember how the religious leaders treated Jesus. They treated him as if he was a thief and a robber. They said he was even being used of the devil. Yet let's compare. Jesus came from the Father. He was indeed and is God in the flesh. Yet the religious leaders of Israel were only interested in providing for themselves, protecting themselves. The Pharisees were covetous. They even took advantage of poor widows. They turned God's temple into a den of thieves. And they plotted to kill Jesus so that Rome would not take away their privileges. The opposite, though. The true shepherd came to save the sheep. False shepherds take advantage of the sheep and exploit them. And let me say a word, especially to the generation that is coming up now. Hypocrisy does not negate the truth. And just because you see hypocrisy within the church or you see hypocrisy within leaders, that does not change who Jesus says he is. It only shows the reality that even the hypocrites need a savior. Many came before claiming to be the Messiah. Yet the true sheep, those who belong to Jesus, follow only him. And it's no different today. We proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ when we call men and women to repentance, when we call them to follow Jesus. And the Lord is the one who draws them to himself. It's the Holy Spirit who transforms the hearts of men and women. But ask yourself today, whose voice are you truly following? The shepherd who has come to lay down his life for you. 
The shepherd slain before the foundation of the world, or are you following thieves and robbers? Those who lead you to destruction. Are you following the one who says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest? In Matthew 23, 13 through 15, the scripture says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you don't go in. And you don't allow those entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. Let me tell you something. Pastor Paul, I'm going to take a moment right here. Let me say, look, here's the thing. In, in our cultural context where I am, we have a group called the Hebrew Israelites. And if you're not familiar with them, you should be. And, and if you're on YouTube, especially if you're in Gen Z and younger African American, they are targeting, especially within the church. So this is what they do. They show up in front of the church. And they, they show up and they yell at people. And they tell, especially African American Christians, you've been lied to. Christianity is a white man's religion. You've been lied to. But what they're not telling them is they are nothing but modern-day Pharisees. They reach into the church to pull people out and then put them under the bondage of the law. Again, do you understand how many laws there are? 613 laws. If you want to keep the law, Jesus says you must keep them all. But the reality is none of us can. We're not saved by our works. DNA is not salvation. Melanin does not save you. Although God loves your melanin, although God loves your ethnicity, let me tell you something. If you're placing your faith and trust in that for your salvation or your sanctification, you are bringing to God nothing but filthy rags. God has created you and loves every culture, every background, but salvation is only found by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. In our culture today, many say they speak for the king, but they're truly blind guys. They are hypocrites. They preach about Jesus, but don't fully bow their knee to Jesus. They preach a kingdom, but they instead are really trying to build up their own kingdom. I'll give you some examples of this, and, and I hope, hope you don't get too mad with me. I'll just give you a few examples. It's a man calling themselves a reverend, proclaiming to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, leading people who they say have bowed their knee to Jesus, yet stating something like this. I'm outraged. This is their quote by the Supreme Court's decision. As a pro-choice pastor, quote-unquote, I'll never back down from this fight. Well, what fight? You mean the, the fight for, for the, the unborn to be murdered in the womb? That's what you're talking about. He goes on to say, women must be able to make their own health care decisions, not politicians. It, it, here's the thing. This is how deception works. I give you enough buzzwords. You begin to believe it's true, and you won't hold it up to the Scripture. Well, who said that? Raf, Reverend Raphael Warnock. The people love him. But I, I'm here. We're not for political, political expediency. I'm here for what does the word of God say? 
It's a church opening in their doors to a quote-unquote Christian politician and them saying, and then people loudly applauding something like this. On Twitter, this is her quote, a lot of the little Twitter trolls, they like to say, oh, Jesus didn't need an AR-15. How many AR-15s do you think Jesus would have had? Now, listen to this point. Well, he didn't have enough of them to keep his government from killing him. Now, discernment, discernment would say that is blasphemy. Because Jesus says, no one takes my life. I lay down my life only to pick it back up again. Why? Because I am God and there is no other. It is time for the true sheep to begin to listen to the true shepherd and to drown out the voices of hypocrites and liars. If you're asking, are you just preaching like this because you're here? Go back and listen to all my messages. It's, it's the same thing every Sunday. <laughs> it's a man who claims to be speaking for Jesus with millions of followers and saying things about God such as this. God only wants you wealthy or things like this. God was a failure or things like this. You need to manifest your destiny or things like this. Money cometh to me today. The list was too long to even give any names. It's just, that's just all over the place. But the true sheep hear the voice of Jesus, and they don't follow strangers. Why? Because the true shepherd will always protect, lead, and guide to where there's green pasture and still waters. And the sheep desire to be with the one who knows them by name. You want to know how you're in a healthy church? When you walk away singing about Jesus, when you walk away wanting to know more about Jesus, and you come back to be around people who are in love with Jesus. 2 Peter 2, 1 says it like this. There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And what do they do? They bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves. This is why we need to be following the good shepherd, the one who loves us and lay down his life for us and leads us in the right way. Doesn't place you under the burdens of the law, but he's come and fulfill the law. And now we can live in that freedom. And here's our very last point. The true shepherd is the door. The true shepherd is the door. Jesus gave them his figure of speech in verse 6, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. But he says, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus makes the point crystal clear. He is not only this shepherd, he is not only the true shepherd who is not a thief or a robber, but the true shepherd of the people. You ever thought about this? What would it have profited for the New Testament writers to lie? I mean, you lie and you lose everything that you thought you would have. Many were martyred, hung upside down. No, this is how we know what we read is authentic and true. Jesus says clearly, I am the door. 
I am the gate. He has no reason to lie. And we see the reality of the miracle he had just done and the truth of what he's saying authenticates what he's proclaiming here. He says, I'm the way into the true sheepfold of God. I am the way of life. He says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the gate. If anyone enters by me, look what he says in verse 9, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. See, the point here he's making twice. He's already said, I am the door. He's the door of the sheepfold, and he makes it possible. Remember, the sheepfold at this time was only the sheepfold of Israel, the religion of Judaism. But he says, I'm calling you to a new flock. The Pharisees threw the beggar out of the synagogue, but Jesus led him out of Judaism and into the true flock of God. Think of this. Who laid over the door for the sheep to come in and who protected them? It was the shepherd. Who called the sheep by name? It was the shepherd. And what is Jesus stating here? I am the true shepherd. And when I call those who are mine, mine, they respond to the truth. They leave the system of works and a burden to the law that was once Judaism and they follow me into true new life. Remember Jesus' words, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There are many in this room, and maybe you're even watching this, and you are under the burden, and you keep trying to earn your way to heaven. You keep trying to do all these different things, and you you can't fix the brokenness that's in your life. But Jesus has come and says, you cannot do it on your own. You need a Savior. You need one who is good. And who is the shepherd, the one who went to the cross and gave his life for us but rose again. And in Christ, people are delivered safe and sound to the shore. The question would be, what are we being saved from? It's from destruction, from the wages of sin, which equals death. And Jesus, the true shepherd, calls to his sheep and those who are his listen to his voice. They come to the kingdom of God by him. But the Pharisees much rather a man born blind, not only to stay blind, but also bound. 613 laws, undue burden, trying to make oneself right with God. And Jesus says this one thing, come to me. I am the fulfillment of every promise. I fulfill the laws, demands, and its requirements. In me, it's where you find new life. Now he says, follow me in that life. Notice those who are his are not lost, but they are secure. They're secure in his fold. And this is the picture here. The sheep come into the true fold of God, and they have life, and the shepherd leads them in and out to green pasture. Now, look at verse 10. It's the most popular passage among many people. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Now, many quote verse 10 concerning Satan. And while we can agree Satan is definitely a thief and a liar, remember the context is vital here. 
Jesus is referring to religious, the religious leaders who were thieves and robbers. Remember, he said they hop over the fence to harm the sheep. And that's the contrast he's making. You can trust the one who is not seeking to harm you or burden you, but give you rest. The one who came and laid down his life. And the question would be, what is that abundant life? The prosperity preachers tell you this abundant life is houses, cars, and bonuses. But context is vital. This abundant life he talks about is the abundant life that is found with God. This word abundance there is pertaining to quantity so abundant to be considerably more than one would expect or anticipate. That which is more than enough beyond the norm. What does this look like? I'm just going to close with a couple of scriptures. I'm not even going to, I'm just going to let, let the scripture speak for itself. What is this abundant life that Jesus is talking about? Well, here we go. Romans 5, 15. For if by the one man's trespasses the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many? Romans 5.17, if by the one man's trespasses, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Romans 5.18, so then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. Romans 5, 20 and 21, if you needed more indication. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, if you're still wondering what abundant life means, let me give you one more. Romans 8 and 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I feel like I need to give you one more. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. I feel like we need two more to round out the corner. <laughs> Romans 8, 31. What then are we to say about these things? What things? The abundant life in Christ, the crucified life, the one who was risen from the dead. If God is for us, who can be against us? But just in case you're still wondering and you're looking for abundance in this world instead of Jesus Christ who is risen from the dead. Here's the last one for you, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm just saying this morning, if you've not come to that true shepherd, this is the abundant life he promises. How do we apply this? Well, really the question I have for you, is Jesus your true shepherd? And are you following him? Is he your true shepherd and are you following him? I'm going to ask the ministers to come forward because there are those in here who need to respond. 
You've been putting it off. Maybe you need to respond to Jesus for the first time. But maybe you are a follower of Christ. And here's the next application point. Are there outside voices you are giving more weight than his? Maybe some sheep need to repent and say, Lord, I've been giving so many other voices more weight than yours. And here's the last one. Is the abundant life he offers enough? And do you need to repent for wanting an American abundance instead of a biblical abundance? Wherever you find yourself, if you hear the voice of the shepherd, respond. Don't worry about your neighbor. Don't worry about anyone else. Respond. Come to him, the one who promises to give you rest. Can I pray for you? Father, I pray that, Lord, those who need to respond, those who you've called and are calling, Lord, they wouldn't put it off. They would come to the one who is not a thief, who is not a robber, but the one who's come to give abundant life. The one who's come to set them free from the bondage of sin and even the darkness of this world. God, we know that there are those you're calling, God. And maybe there are believers who need to respond in this moment who have been struggling following the shepherd. Dear God, we thank you that it's your precious Holy Spirit that does the work. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name. If you need to respond, respond in this moment.